morning. Hey, great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, coming out and uh, showing up and being here with us at uh, River Glen. Great to have you, and uh, especially if you're a, a first-time guest, just thrilled to have you with us as we're in uh, part three of uh, Poison, Killing What's Killing You. And what we're doing is we're talking and, and, and about an area of our life that we probably don't tend to talk or think about very much, and that area of our life is our heart. And the reason we're talking about this is because Jesus had just so much to say about our heart. Jesus said that all of life flows from our heart. We live from our heart. We work from our heart. We spend from our heart. We date. We marry from our heart. We parent from our heart. We live from our heart. But many of us don't realize this, and so we'll think something, or we'll say something, or we'll do something, and we'll go, you know, where did that come from? You know, that's not me. Where did that idea even come from? And Jesus would say, I know where it came from. It came from uh, your heart, but many of us don't recognize that, and we don't know what to do with our, with our heart, and so we tend to react to our heart instead of understanding and learning how to deal uh, with it. And so we began this series a few weeks ago talking about uh, some things, identifying some things that get lodged in our heart, and they become like poisons in our, our system. We may not even know they're there, but they're just slowly killing us from the inside out. And maybe we'll filter our words, we'll, we'll filter our actions, and that might help a little bit. But eventually, what's in our heart, okay, what's really inside of us is going to come out. And so we're identifying some of these poisons and learning God's remedy to get rid of them. Now, today, we're going to talk about what I think is by far the most destructive and dangerous poison of all. In fact, I think this poison is the foundation for many, if not all, of these other uh, poisons. And I came across this sentence that I think kind of sums it up and really gives us the essence of this poison. And it goes like this. This poison keeps us from and causes us to. And I want to go ahead and just give you some examples, some clues of what it causes us to do and, and keeps us from and, and see if you can guess it, okay? Okay, this is the one thing that keeps us from celebrating the success of others. It's the one thing that keeps you from initiating an apology even when you know that you're wrong. It's the one thing that keeps you arguing your point even when you realize, you know, I don't have a very good point, but you keep arguing. Keeps us from admitting weakness or that we need help. Keeps you from admitting that, that you don't know what you're doing even though, you know, everybody else knows you don't know what you're doing. Keeps you from learning new things because you want everybody else to, around you to think that you know everything. It's what causes you to feel good when other people fail. It's what causes you to power up when you really should open up. It's what causes you to think that, that you know everything and that you've got to defend yourself and have the final word in every conversation. And it's what causes you to buy things to impress people that may not even be paying attention to you. Anybody want to take a guess on, on what it is? Yeah, that's right. It's pride. That's what we're talking about today is the poison of, of pride. Now, it's not the kind of pride where you say, I'm proud of my child or my niece or my nephew or I'm proud of the company that I work for or the church where I attend. It's not a pride that encourages or inspires other people. It's that ugly thing inside of us that C.S. Lewis talked about in this extraordinary statement. Take a look at what he, what he said. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness are mere flea bites in comparison to pride because pride leads to every other vice. And it's in you 
and it's in me. And you've been on the receiving end of it in your relationships, and you've also dispensed it. Now, here's the big problem with pride, okay? I want you to catch this because you can see it in other people, but it's nearly impossible to see in the mirror. You can spot it in a second in somebody else, but it's almost impossible for us to see in the mirror. But it rests inside all of us. You know, I related to an experience I had running. I started running a little bit a few years ago. My daughter twisted my arm to run this event on her graduation day, and then I stuck with it and uh, continued. But a year ago, uh, last August, I did something really dumb. I mean, this is one of the dumber things that I've, that I've uh, done. Uh, I, I decided to go for a run uh, by myself without a water bottle, and uh, for some reason, I tried to run further than I've, much further than, than ever before. I tried to run 16 miles, all right, even though it was like in the 80s, and uh, sunshine. Uh, you, you can probably tell where this is going, right? It's not a very smart thing uh, to do. So I'm out there running, and, you know, mile seven, I'm feeling pretty good. And in fact, somebody would have come up to me and said, Ben, you know what, you're getting sick and dehydrated. I'd have been like, no way, man, I'm fine. I got this, you know, chill out, relax. But then at mile 10, I'm getting weak and lightheaded. Mile 12, I'm feeling nauseated. Uh, Mile 13, I'm thinking to myself, I'm never going to go for another run ever. And I barely made it to mile 15. And I had never felt this way before. My head didn't feel right. And I started feeling scared because I realized that I've got a choice. Either I'm going to stop running right now or my body's going to go ahead and make that decision for me. And so I stopped before I dropped. And I saw a coffee shop. I went over there. I asked, they let me use the phone. I called my wife. She said she's 30 minutes away. She'll come and, and get me. And so I, I, they gave me some water. I appreciated that. I drank the water. And sorry if this grosses anybody out. I went outside and just vomited, you know, all of it right there on the uh, sidewalk. And so I went back in, and I thought, you know, maybe I need to drink some clear soda. You know, that's what my mom always said, clear soda. And maybe that helped me feel better. But I didn't have any money, and I've never done this before. I went up and I asked them. I said, I'm really sick. You know, would you give me some soda? If my wife's coming, you know, we'll pay for it when she gets here. And, and the guy said, oh, sorry, I can't do that. I'm like, okay, I understand. So I just sat down. I put my head down. I just felt... I just felt horrible. And I think he realized that I was, I was pretty sick and changed his mind. He said, you know, come on up here. We'll give you some soda. And so I drank, you know, clear soda, like 16 ounces of it. And uh, I went back outside, <laughs> made another contribution on the sidewalk, all 16. Yeah. Then my wife arrived, and we paid for that soda, which was a waste of money. And uh, she drove me home. I got some fluids, laid on the couch for a few hours, and, uh, you know, I was back to normal. But here's my point. I was really sick, and I didn't even know it. In fact, I was, I was getting sicker because I kept on running. And pride is like that. You, may, you might be sick. It's like dehydration. You might be really sick, and you don't even know it. And everybody else can see it, but, but you can't. And that's what makes this one. I mean, so ugly and dangerous and deadly. I mean, here's a conversation I've never had. I've never had somebody come up to me and say, Ben, you know what my problem is? I'm just too prideful because we're blind to it. In fact, some of you right now might be going, you know, this topic isn't for me. But other people around you can see it in you. Now, I want to give you two reasons why pride is such a dangerous and deadly uh, poison in our hearts. Here's the first reason. It's because pride shrinks us. Now, we think it does the opposite. We think it makes us bigger and larger. We say pride puffs up. 
but it actually does the opposite. Pride makes you weaker and smaller. Let me give you two ways that pride shrinks us. First of all, pride shrinks our ability to resolve conflicts in our relationships because pride keeps us from admitting or acknowledging or apologizing for our part in the conflict. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with a couple and they'll be arguing or there's tension, there's conflict, there's pain. They're just going back and forth, you know, blaming each other. And I sit there on the outside thinking these problems are not that big of a deal. This is fixable. But pride keeps us from acknowledging or admitting or apologizing, and that's why pride destroys relationships. And then it also shrinks our ability to say what needs to be said. Some of us here have people in our life, and they're just waiting to hear one word of encouragement or one affirmation or compliment from you, but you don't do it. For some of you, maybe it's your spouse who's waiting for just some encouragement or a compliment, or maybe it's one of your kids, a daughter, a son, a niece, a nephew, somebody at work, and they're just waiting for you to compliment them, and you know you should, but pride holds you back because you just can't make yourself say what needs to be said. Pride doesn't make us bigger. It makes us smaller and weaker, and then here's a second reason pride is so deadly. Pride shoves. Pride always shoves. Think about this. When you're full of you, there just isn't any room for anybody else. I mean, we've only got so much room emotionally or relationally for other people. And when my life is full of me, I take up all the room and I shove people out. And you may not even know it, but other people, you know, walk around, walk around you on, on, on eggshells. They just feel pressed against the wall because they know even, even the smallest thing can set you off and maybe it'll explode or go silent or get aggressive and people feel shoved out because there's no room for anybody else in the room but you and you don't even know it. And you know what? It's not just people. Pride, your pride, my pride shoves God out. David talked about this in Psalm 10. Here's what he says. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. And it's because prideful people want what's best for them. And, you know, they don't, and, and so they shove God out because they don't think God is going to do what they, what they want. They don't think God's going to benefit them. And so here's what happens. In all of his thoughts, it says there's no room for God. So instead of taking steps toward God, they shove God out because they don't want to make room for God in their life. It literally means they believe there is no God because we've only got so much room in our life. And when we take up all the room, we push God out. Now, I know at River Glen, there's probably a significant number of people that attend here. And maybe some of you here would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer, and I want you to know you're welcome here. You know, we love it when people come here to explore Christianity, and we'd love to help you uh, along your uh, journey. But I want you to think about this. Sometimes people say, I don't follow Jesus because of intellectual reasons. And they'll say, I don't believe the Bible. There, there, there's stories in there. There's miracles in there that I don't believe. And, you know, that may be true for you. You may have intellectual questions, and you need, to, you need to study those. You need to figure those out, and we would be glad to help you through that. But it might be something else. If you struggle believing in Jesus, you may think it's an intellectual issue, but the real issue might be something else. And here's how you can tell. If every time the topic of God or Jesus or the Bible comes up in a conversation, if you immediately shut down or change the subject 
or you're not even open you know, to giving it any consideration, then it may not be an intellectual issue. It might just be that you don't want to make room for God in your life. Now, I know it's easier to say that, you know, I've got questions or, you know, church people are all weirdos. But the real issue might be a pride problem. You're crowding God out. You're shoving God out because you don't want to make room for him in your life. And that's why pride is such a dangerous and deadly poison. It shrinks us, it doesn't make us bigger, and it shoves God and other people out. And as this poison of pride grows in our heart, it can lead us to a place where we have nothing more than me, myself, and I, and it becomes like this prison. But here's the good news. Here's something fascinating about Jesus. The invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to kill pride. And here's how it works. Jesus taught and then, and then modeled a life of liberating humility, a life of freeing humility. And he invites you and I to follow his example. And so our life is going to end up looking like this. Because when we begin following Jesus, it actually becomes the remedy for the inner turmoil of the poison of pride. Now let me give you a couple examples of how Jesus did this. When Jesus walked on this earth... There was a certain societal pecking order. And the way that this societal pecking order went is like this. If you had money, if you had power, you were large and in charge. And if you didn't, you served those who did. But Jesus came along and he said that God has a different vision for his people. God has a vision for you. And there's a pecking order, but it is flipped completely upside down from the world's pecking order. And then he illustrated it. There was this time right before they took what we call communion for the first time. They're in this upper room. The disciples are there. Jesus gets up from the conversation. He wraps a towel around his waist. He takes a, a, a bowl of water, and he washes the disciples' feet. And remember, Christians believe that Jesus is God in a bod. He's got all power, and he decides to use that power to wash the feet of his disciples with his hands. And remember, with these hands, Jesus healed people. With these hands, Jesus raised people from the dead. And now with these hands, these same hands, he washes the feet of the disciples. And he gets done and he looks at them and he says, someday when you have power and influence, whether it's a lot or a little, I want you to use that power not to benefit you, but to benefit those around you and those under you. See, Jesus introduced to us a liberating form of humility that pushes out the emotion of pride and serves other people. And I, and, I, and I say an emotion, the emotion of pride, because we tend to think pride is intellectual, but it's actually controlled by our emotions and our heart. Here's what happens. Our emotion says to our brain, hey, brain, give me a reason not to do something. Give me a reason not to apologize. Give me a reason not to admit something. And brain always does his job. And brain says, you know, here's a reason. And emotion says, thank you, brain. And so Jesus comes along and he introduces to us this liberating form of humility that just pushes through the emotion of pride. And uh, many of the writers of the New Testament talk about this, this type of, of humility. But there's one passage in particular that I want us to look at. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. And maybe some of you have read this or studied this before. Maybe for some of you, this will be the, 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 the first time. But either way, when you really understand this scripture, this is mind-bending stuff. This is mind-blowing stuff. And the more 
it sinks in. You just can't help but feel inspired and moved. And so let's take a look here at what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. He says, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships at work, in your relationships at home, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here was the mindset of Jesus. Here's the way Jesus lived his life. He pursued reconciliation. He initiated reconciliation with other people. And, and here's what I mean. There was a point in history where God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, had a conversation. Okay, And I don't know exactly how it went. Maybe it went something like this. Jesus says, Dad, do you really want me to go down there? And God says, yeah, I want you to go down there. And do what? I want you to tell them about me and die for them. What? You know, most people aren't going to understand what I say. Most of the people aren't going to accept me. God says, I want you to go and do it anyway. Well, who does that? God says, we will. We will initiate. So Jesus decides to go and initiate reconciliation, even though he knew most people would never reciprocate. And here's what this means in our lives today. When pride says, wait, don't do it. Don't go. We say, I'm not going to let pride shove God and others out. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to initiate. I'm going to pursue reconciliation. And just imagine if we did this in our relational world. Imagine how different our relationships would be. There would be no relationship that couldn't be mended or healed. And then he continues, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. What's a servant do? A servant serves. A servant asks the question, how can I serve you? And so pride says, my boss is a jerk. You know, I'm not going to work hard for him. I'm going to talk behind his back. I'm going to start looking for another job. But Jesus says, serve your boss. I know he doesn't deserve it, but that's the point. Just like Jesus served you and I. Pride says, she offended me. I'm going to get even, cold shoulder, shove her away. But Jesus says, go, initiate, serve this other person. And I know some of you are thinking, Ben, I mean, that sounds radical. That sounds extreme. Who does that? Nobody does that. But listen, it's going to take something radical to kill the poison of pride that has gotten into our system. And when you begin to experience this new life Jesus is calling you to, here's what I guarantee. You're not going to miss your life of pride. You're not going to miss the prison of pride. You're going to kiss it goodbye because you're going to love your new life uh, without it. And then he continues to build on this and he says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And there's our word humbled. In other words, Jesus put himself under the authority of those who didn't deserve for him to be under their authority and he did it willingly. And think about this. God puts himself under the authority of people that he created and then how far does does his his humility go? How far does he go? Here's how far he goes. He became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And he's just asking you and me to say, I'm sorry. He's just asking us to go to our child and say, I'm proud of you. To go to your spouse and give them a compliment. To stop shoving people out to get your, your, uh, to get your uh, way. Because the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to a liberating life of humility that frees our heart from this poison of of pride. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you three questions that I think will help us identify pride in our lives so that we can begin to flush that stuff out, okay? Here's the first question. How does pride show itself 
in you. I want to go ahead and just kind of tell you how it shows itself in me. First of all, uh, professionally. i got a group of pastor friends, and about once, twice a year, we get together. There's about, there's about seven of us. And I know some of you are thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, that sounds like a really boring time to get together with a bunch of, uh, bunch of uh, pastors. But we have fun. But one of the primary questions that pastors ask each other is this. How big is your church? Somewhere along the way, that became kind of the measuring stick in the pastoral world. You know, how big is your uh, uh, church? And here's the thing you need to know about pastors. We're human. You know, we have egos. I struggle with pride. You know, we all, we all do. But, and, and because of this, because I'm in this group of pastors, and in this group, their churches are all larger uh, than River Glen. And I don't mean, you know, just like a few hundred. I mean like thousands uh, larger than River Glen. And, and so I'm the small guy. I'm the little guy. And so when they say, Ben, how big is your church? I've learned to just round up to the nearest thousand. (laughs) Or here's what I'll say. I'll say, well, you know, I'm in Wisconsin, and we've got challenges that you guys don't have. And really what I'm doing is I'm trying to make myself feel better. I'm trying to make myself feel bigger than I really am. And uh, that's how it shows up for me, one of the ways it shows up for me professionally. And then here's how it shows up for me personally. For me, I don't know if you can relate to this, but for me, it's difficult. I find it very difficult to apologize to my kids. I've got three great kids, uh, but there have been many times I've messed up as a parent. And I'll find myself sitting in my bedroom at night, and I'll be thinking, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I really need to go to apologize uh, to one of my kids. But it is so hard for me, you know, to get up and, and go over to their room and actually apologize, you know, I, I, as I think about it at night, and I start sweating, you know, I start feeling these heart palpitations, and then I'll go over, and I'll have a hard time, you know, getting the words out, and my face will, I'll, I'll get the words out, but my face will, you know, start making these ex- funny looking expressions, and that's just one of the ways that pride shows up in my life. Another way that pride will often show up in people, the older we get, and as I get older, I experience this. I battle this. The older we get, we feel like we know more. And so we'll say things like, you know, you don't know. You don't know what you're saying. You're just a young whippersnapper, you know. And a lot of times people, as they get older, they get stuck in their ways. And they might even think that's a good thing. But that's why a lot of times older churches don't draw uh, younger people. Because younger people go, well, I don't want to go there. They're not really open to changing and growing. And so older people deal with it and younger people deal with it too. Sometimes younger people think they're entitled to something that they really haven't earned. We all deal with pride and it's really hard for us to see it in ourselves. So I got an exercise for you, okay, that I want to ask you to do, challenge you to do. And I know that some of you aren't going to do it because this is a really hard one uh, to do, but it is so important. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody that you trust and value their opinion. I want you to take them out for coffee. Or lunch. You could do it today. Take them out to lunch today. And uh, toward the end of the conversation, toward the uh, end of lunch, because you don't want to ruin the whole meal. All right? Here's what I want you to say to them. Say, I want you to tell me the truth, and I don't want you to ask them, am I prideful? Because everybody, everybody will say, no, 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 you're not prideful. Instead, I want you to say, in what areas does pride show up in me? In what areas does pride show up in me? And then sit back and listen, okay? Don't defend. You can, you can process this later. It's very, very powerful if you have somebody in your life 
that'll, that'll help you that. That'll help you see pride, and you, and you, can, be, you can be honest uh, with yourself. Okay, here's a second question. What does pride masquerade as in you? Now, this one's tougher because pride can hide behind virtues in our life. You know, for example, it can hide behind confidence. Confidence is an important thing. Confidence can be a good thing, but confidence can also camouflage arrogance and pride, or maybe it's intellect, or fashion, or a commitment to hard work, or a commitment to excellence. These are, these are there, there's all kinds of virtues and good things, but pride can hide uh, behind them. And I'm telling you, if you can spot it and call it out, you're making good progress. All right, here's the final question. How much longer do you plan uh, to let the poison of pride shove God and others out of your life? How long? A month? A year? The rest of, of your life? I want you to watch this video. I think it'll help you just shove this out of your life. Take a look. Some of you in your 20s and 30s are going, what was that? <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. When pride tries to shove God and other people out of your life, I want you to just go kapow. Pride, you're not going to master me anymore. I'm done with you. I'm walking away from you. I want you to go zwap. I'm going to walk over to this person and compliment them on doing a good job, even though they got the job that I wanted. I want you to go zwap and tell your child, I'm proud of you, even though you know your child's not perfect. I want you to go kapow. I'm going to open up and share a weakness. I'm going to share a struggle that I'm having with, with another person that I can trust. Because pride, you're not helping me. Pride, you're just making things worse. In my life, and I'm telling you, if you really want to smack pride around, if you really want to knock it out and take a major step toward freedom and following Jesus, do something called baptism. In baptism, we're saying, Jesus, I need you to save, save me from the poison in my heart. I need you to give me a new heart. Baptism is going to help you plunge away your pride. But do you know why many people put off baptism? You know, lots of people know they need to do it. Uh, but they'll, they'll say things like, well, I don't want to get all wet and look like a drenched chihuahua, you know, in front of other people. I don't want to, you know, ruin my hairdo. I don't want to admit that I need forgiveness because I haven't lived a, a perfect life. Pride gets in the way. But Jesus has asked everyone who follows him to humbly uh, take this step because it's going to help flush the pride out of your heart. Baptism confirms that God is, is working in your heart. God's washing your heart and making it new and making it clean. And if you'd like to find out more, if you'd like to take this step, there's a card in the program. You can just fill that out. We're going to have a baptism weekend in, in two weeks. And we'd love to help you take this next step. Now, baptism helps, but it's, it's, it's a first step. And this is a battle. Pride's a battle every day. And that's why we need to gather like this each week to... Focus on God, to make room for God in our life, to, to, to sing to him, to hear his word, and to share communion together. To examine our heart, we pause during communion, to examine our heart for pride, and to renew our decision to follow Jesus and his example of uh, humility and serving others. The, the, the bread represents Christ's body, the juice represents Christ's blood. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to pass communion. And if you know, this is all new to you and you want to take a pass on it, that's fine. But we have an open communion here to anyone who gives their heart to Jesus. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to remember once again what Jesus did for us on the cross. And 
it helps us, communion helps us make more room in our hearts for God and for other people. So let me pray for us. Father, there isn't uh, one person here, and I'm leading the way with this one, that doesn't deal with this poison. It gets in our system, and it just shrinks us, and it shoves you and other people away. But God, the beautiful thing is that when we follow you, it is the remedy that cleans and frees our heart from this deadly and dangerous poison. And God, it's amazing to think about what you can do in our lives and in our relationships when we begin to rid ourselves of this poison. God, thank you so much for for sending Jesus to model a liberating and freeing life of humility. God, help us to follow his example. And God, most of all, thank you for Jesus going to the cross to give us a new heart and a new spirit. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.